trading that episode 44 what separated me i think from everyone else that i hear about is that i knew i was retiring at 40. the market's going to do something your job is not to fight it the market never ever runs away it's always there that personal diary of trading will make you a much better trader than i could be right about the direction but wrong about the trade don't focus on the monetary side trying to make too much money on a trade is what i have seen killed every trader your losses offer you some of the greatest insight you can find into your mistakes relax learn the process candlestick pattern training is a freaking trap don't be in a rush to become a millionaire let the market tell you what the market wants to tell you this podcast is not financial trading or investing advice of any kind What's up traders, welcome to another installment of the Trading Up podcast. I'm your host Cam Hawkins and today we've got Michael from ICT on the show. Now ICT stands for Inner Circle Trader, he's been around for quite some time. I do remember hearing about him way back in my trading journey so I'm so glad to get him here on the show today and boy is it a show you're going to want to listen to a number of times. Uh, we also do have a little video for you afterwards, it's slightly different than the norm so you're going to have to check that out in the uh, on the show notes in the YouTube channel or wherever you're listening to this so you'll find a link somewhere. Now, uh, before we jump into the show, there was one thing I ch- that was going on with my trading this week, or this past week, last week in fact, that I thought I would just drop here on the show because I, it's something that's taken me a wa- long time to do and I've thought about doing it like, probably four or five weeks ago, even a couple of months, maybe six months before that. Uh, and it's such a simple and easy thing to do and I don't know why it took me so long. But there is something you do need to do before you're really going to get some benefit from this. Uh, especially in the, in I suppose, I got benefit from it straight away, but if you do it straight away and you're just starting out, then you're probably going to need to need to build up some, uh, some sample uh, data before you can get some use out of it. So what I'm talking about here is utilizing uh, a tool that's probably an online tool. You don't often get this in your trading platforms, or I don't get it in mine at least. You might get it in yours. So the idea is, Build up a sample size of trades. So trade your plan, trade your strategy, whatever it is you're trading. Build up a sample size and then head over to a tool or import your data into a tool and start analyzing that sample size. So the good thing about this is one, is you get a sample size of trades. So it means that your trading is not necessarily, I suppose, you're not putting any sort of emphasis on what you're trading. You're just following the rules. So it takes a bit of pressure off, number one. Number two is you get data to to look at. So what I did was I traded over 20 different instruments in the period of about uh, about one to two months. And so I had a lot of data. And so I was able to then connect it up to, uh, in my case, it was Forex, uh, FX Blue, it's called, fxblue.com. And uh, there's other things out there for Forex traders like MyFXBook. Um, those are probably the two main ones. And I'm sure there's equivalent type of tools for futures and stocks. I'm just not 100% sure what exactly they are. Anyway, so what you do is you tie your account into those and then you can actually analyze the results and see what's worked and what hasn't worked in detail and and in this case I wanted to I knew that I had a number of different pairs that I was trading and some of them you know I'd only traded a couple of times or a few times so it wasn't much of a sample size but others I traded like upwards of 15 trades on that particular uh, pair and I had some good stats in there like around win rate, uh, amount of profit, not so much risk to reward but number of pips gained and that sort of thing. So 
it gave me some insight where I was able to drill down from, I think it was like, yeah, 24 pairs to just five. So I've now got five pairs that I know worked well in my sample size. And as soon as I changed, as soon as I'd made that change, things started going in the right direction again. Uh, I, got, I suppose it was going in the right direction. They probably... It's a better way to say it is that I went from being more break-even where I make some good trades and then I'll give a lot of it back and then I'll sort of make a bit of a gain again and give a lot of it back. So I started to get rid of the giving a lot of it back because that was, those were the pairs where whatever I was doing just didn't work. So guys, anyway, the lesson for you is head over to, if you've got something that you can you know you should be doing, you haven't done it yet, you've got a sample size, head over to one of those sites. And I don't know what the equivalent is on futures or stocks. You could probably search it up on the internet and, and then use that to analyze what you're doing and see what's working and what's not working. Now, this is also really good. And the, the reason I know about these sites is because I use them for my robots. So I've got the Robot Traders Club. And for those that want to learn how to build trading robots, I've got a 21-day course, which take you, takes you from woe to go and teaches you how to build a trading robot and uh, yeah from scratch without having to learn how to code so it's pretty unique offering out there uh some feedback recently has been that it's outstanding from one of the guys that's gone through it so guys go and check that out if you get a chance now um before i head into the interview um i want to tell you there's a little surprise at the very end so stay tuned to the very end and you're going to hear that surprise so let's get on on with it with Michael from Inner Circle Trader ICT. Here we go. All right, folks, we've got Michael here from ICT. Uh, it's been a, a long time coming. Um, I, I think I first heard about the Inner Circle Trader ages ago, like years ago. So I'm so pleased to have you on the show, Michael. Welcome to the Trading Up podcast. Thanks for having me, sir. Look, um, today we're going to sort of go through your backstory. I've had a few questions come in from, from listeners as well, so we'll go through some of those as well and uh, and really sort of unpick what you're doing in the markets and, and how things look for you when you're, you're looking at the, the Forex markets uh, predominantly from what I, what I see. So to, to start off, do you want to give us a quick overview of how you first got into trading and a bit about you personally as well? Okay, um, 1992, it was November 5th. I got my first book delivered to me by a mail order uh, scheme that I was involved in with responding to a classified ad about real money, real people. And it turned out to be uh, Ken Roberts. And he was like a big, a big wheel for education of commodity trading back in the eighties and the nineties. And that was my first foray into uh Trading. It was in commodity trading, and I thought just by reading one book, it would give me all the answers I was looking for. I was a young guy, and I plunged right into that using what was taught in that simple book. That's what got me started, and ever since then, I morphed from standard commodity trader to index trading, the S&P 500, and the bond market, 30-year treasury market, then segued into currency futures, and then discovered the foreign exchange spot market and I started trading that and then realized it was far more liquid to trade FX than to mess with the uh, futures. So I completely put us put aside the futures market and focused primarily on Forex. And I've been doing that since exclusively since 2006. Well, wow, it's quite interesting. I don't often stumble across traders who go from futures to Forex 
uh, stocks to forex, yes, futures to forex. People usually get stuck in futures and, and don't don't make the shift. So really interested to to hear that you've done that. Now going back into sort of that journey, I mean, how did how did you what what I suppose what else were you doing alongside that? So I'm guessing you're not you weren't a full time commodity trader from the from the outset. Did you have a job? Did you have education? How did that look? <laughs> I came from a very modest upbringing. Uh, no one really in my family, except for my uncle, had any kind of speculation experience, and he actually traded commodities. Made some money in the sugar market in 1983, uh, and that was the only experience really he had as far as profitability. But I'm sure everyone that's listening knows what it feels like. Once the, the trading bug bites you, it never lets you go. And he spent, you know, still to this day, he dabbles with it, but he still doesn't have uh, con- you know, consistency or anything like that. But he mentioned to me when I was in high school, uh, the richest people in the world trade futures and options. Get a good job. Uh, at the time, his advice was specifically this. It was get a good job, be an electronic technician, and take your money and invest in futures and options. Now, as a 16-year-old, you know, I wasn't really interested in all that. I had other things, and martial arts was really the, the thing I was focused on. But I went out into the working world and got a job. I was working as a candy and soda machine guy that would go around, fill, you know, fill those machines and service them. And I just hated it. It was a 13-hour day, and I wasn't making a whole lot of money. And I knew that there was something else for me, and I, I borrowed a, uh, an entrepreneur magazine from the employer I had at the time. And the back of the magazine, there was a little classified ad, like I mentioned in the beginning. It was uh, real money, real people. And it turned out to be uh, a mailing for commodity trading, you know, a, a book, if you will, or a course from Ken Roberts. And it just felt like you know everything was pushing me there, call it fate or whatever. Uh, th- that's what I ended up uh, moving into. Wow. So Cool. Okay, that's interesting. And so, Ken Roberts, did you ever meet the guy in real life in the future? No, actually, I've I've never really met anyone in person as a trader, educator, type, anyone that you would know of. Um, I've met people that have actually traded on the floor, and I've met folks that you know are quote unquote market makers, but they. Uh, those those type of people aren't running formal education. You can't sit down with them and say, hey, look, can you train me? Uh, it was only by way of me being on America Online in the 90s. Uh, I had a, a real brief nine-month run of luck, and that's really what it all started from. Um, I had initial loss of my first trade, which and we can talk about that later on, but I, I started getting a little bit more information about what I was lacking from the initial education I got from Ken Roberts, which was very, very limited. It was a very myopic view of how the markets operate and how we as traders should engage it. No real um, discussion of risk or anything like that. It's just you know, plunge and pyramid. Yeah. But I was in a rush to get out of my job, and I tried to do as much as I could, as fast as I could, and I just it was a mess. You know, like every, everyone else, I was not exempt from you know the, the humble beginnings and the crash and burns. So going from commodities to uh, S&P 500, the bonds, currency futures, what, what, what area did you have that nine-month uh, run of luck? Well, I started with an option, and this was actually the worst trade of my career because I actually started trading before I should have. 
using live money, and I traded an orange orange juice option on the futures uh, futures market for op, um, options on orange juice. And a lot of you listeners may not realize that you can trade something like that, but <laughs> that that's actually a very thin market. And as soon as I put the the trade on the very next day, I had lost 50% of the option value. So I was baptized rather quickly with how fast you can lose money. And I took some time off. And Larry Williams, I'm sure you probably are familiar with him. Uh, He actually uh, purchased, I guess, my name off of a mailing list that Ken Roberts puts every one of his uh, customers on. And I had received a mailing from him suggesting that I I should take a look at his stuff. So I, I did. And then when I bought his course, I'm now I'm going to rip it apart and not do it any justice in its title, but basically it's the uh, Futures Millionaires Confidential Trading Course, and it's very close to that if, if that's not the title. It was a four VHS course on how to trade commodities, and I was in love with it. I watched this thing over and over and over again, and I could tell you verbatim still today what the guy's going to say before he says it. <laughs> and it just clicked. It just clicked that I didn't know what I was doing, but now I felt I did. And then with that information, I had nine months of what I know now is experience was complete luck. Nine months of consistency. I only bought long, never went short, never traded options again. It was just statistics, I'm sorry, stochastics on an hourly chart with a 50-day moving average. If it was slanting up and the hourly was oversold and it had a bullish divergence, I was in there buying it. And everything in the 90s was in like these inflated bull markets. And they were just, it was real easy to buy when it was the time to buy. And it, everything went up. And I attributed that to skill, foolishly. And after the initial nine months, I had to learn very quickly. It wasn't always an up market. I had to find how, how to short it, but I wasn't willing to do that. So every time I would go long, it would crush me. And I would get mad. I would go in and trade with more leverage. Uh, no, no stop loss, all the things that every classic newbie does, and that just blew out the account. So I had a whole – almost entire year, nine months of ridiculous luck, and that's what can happen. Sometimes we as traders get in this, and it can be very easy for us to trick ourselves into thinking we know what we're doing, especially if you're new. And I had that. I had to go through that experience. So what moved me from doing – the grain markets and like live cattle and lean, lean hogs and such, I noticed that the markets on the financial side, like the debt instruments, the bond market, the stock indices, they were much more controlled. They didn't have a whole lot of real whipsaw type movements. It doesn't matter if there was a drought. It doesn't matter if the crop wasn't a certain um, yield it was just much more consistent about what it was doing. And I found that there was a lot more patterns in that. And that's what led me from starting with the grains and the livestock, moving into more financially driven uh, derivatives. And so what was the, so you mentioned patterns there. I mean, was that a natural sort of progression from that Larry Williams indicator based method? Back then, yes. It was a lot of what you would still I guess encounter if you go through any of his his books, it's still available today. Um, I had purchased How I Made a Million Dollars Trading Commodities last year, which I think is a a main staple still today, even though it was written back in the 70s. That book has so many things in it that's still true today that 
it would be very easy for a new trader today would look at it and say, well, it doesn't apply to the markets. It does. It really does. But that's basically my whole trading plan was right out of that book. And for nine months, I had a really good run of luck, but I didn't understand shorting, and I was fearful of it. So I forced buying when there wasn't an opportunity to do so. It's funny. I had uh, Larry Williams on the show a couple of years ago, and I completely butchered the interview. <laughs> I could have, <laughs> I could have asked him about all this stuff, but I didn't. I just did. A, it was a very bland interview. But anyway, um, I should have made more of the opportunity. Now, uh, okay, cool. So, so can we sort of get a view of how you went from that Larry Williams into where you are now? So, how did that progression take place? Well, I, I used a lot of trend following ideas, and I used a lot of ideas from William J. O'Neill for stock trading, and I did just basically share it online. Back then in the 90s, America Online was the thing. So they had message boards and such, and I just put my ideas out there, and they were like 90% accurate. It was unbelievably – like everybody was following it. They were all doing what I said I was doing. And apparently uh, the federal government was watching, <laughs> and I didn't have any risk disclaimers, and I didn't put anything up there. I didn't know what I was doing, and uh, the CFTC, Commodity Futures Trading Commission, actually tapped me you know, with a subpoena, and they said, hey, look, you know, uh, you're, are you licensed to be doing what you're doing? You're giving financial advice, yada, 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 and actually subpoenaed everyone that ever sent me an email on America Online. They subpoenaed everyone that sent me a, a, a direct message. Uh, I'm not sure what they called it back then on American Line, but like a like a private message. They did all those things, and um, I basically had to stop doing what I was doing, basically, because I wasn't licensed to do it, and I didn't understand the laws. But because of that, uh, I had received a lot of attention from other folks that wanted to know what I was doing, and I met two individuals that were really interested in knowing what I was doing, why I was pulling out the winners that I was pulling out. And they basically offered me an opportunity to learn more about how the markets actually are delivered. And that's kind of like what led me to where I'm at today because those interviews I had with those gentlemen, uh, the information that they shared with me, it's not in books. It's not in anything that you're going to find. No other educators talk about it. And it's basically like taking everything we are learning in the retail realm and just turning it upside down. And when I started looking at the market like that, everything changed. Nothing became uh, a focus of indicators. I don't have any indicators on my charts, none. Everything was about time and price and the calendar, the day of the week, what months of the year. There's patterns that price is delivered on that is very consistent. Now, some may think that's simply you know, seasonal tendencies. That's part of it. But there's also a, a – a certain measure of continuity that is rhythmic because it's the business model that takes place in the marketplace. It repeats over and over again. And I have a lot of free resources that people can actually go and look at it and you can judge based on what I share there because I can, I'm never going to be able to scratch the surface of it. Just in an interview, we could talk for an hour and still wouldn't even come close to what can be shown in, in the free videos that I put out. Cool. And these these two individuals were they independent or, or were they guys that knew each other? Uh, they were from the financial sector. That, uh, like I said, they're not brokers. 
they're not educators, not, you know, anything. They're not people that you would relatively run into. And the things that they talk about was very alarming because it makes you feel like when you get into the industry and you start trading, you feel like everything's an open playing field. Like you really got a chance and you really don't if you follow everything else everyone else is doing. It's like this. The statistics that's banded about is that 90% of people lose money trading regardless of what asset class there is. Now, we can attribute it to not knowing what we're doing initially, and largely that's true. But we're misinformed. You know, We're drinking from the same pool, and the water's tainted. And the things that we do over and over and over again are regurgitated by other educators, and it's promoted as it's a random distribution of wins and losses. And I teach that that's not true, and I prove it weekly. I have you know examples after examples on my Twitter feed where it's just you can't get this level of continuity and consistency if you don't know what you're doing. And the things that we buy in books, and I have a library of over 2,000 books, none of those books ever touch on the topics that I teach for free. And people look at this stuff. And they digest it, and they go into the charts, and right away they see it, and it doesn't require indicators. And can you uh, – I've got a oh, – jeez, I've got a ton of questions on this. Um, so first of all, back to these guys. Do they did, – did you find out – A, do you still keep in contact with them, and did you find out why they reached out to you and wanted to, to share this stuff with you? They felt that I had more or less been exposed to what they do and what they know. And I'm just going to say it, you know, what it is. When you hear the term market maker, okay, it, it's kind of like really popular in the last 10 or 15 years. These guys that uh, are, are claiming to be um, teaching market maker concepts, they're not teaching market making concepts. Um, when I talk about market making concepts, they are not the same as someone that would work at a trading desk that makes a market and provides liquidity for the traders. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the individual all the way up at the central bank level because when we look at, for instance, like the British pound, the British pound is not going up and down because of buyers and sellers. That's not – it's a myth. It doesn't work like that. As much as everyone wants to believe it is, that's not the case. The high and the low, the daily range is actually predetermined at midnight, local New York time. It's it's something I can prove every single day of the week. We can sit down and I can tell you this is what's going to happen, and it happens. Now, the problem with this is it's very upsetting because it makes you feel like, what else is there that's not true that we've been told in books? The two gentlemen that I met, they felt that I was using information, which I didn't have any insight at all. I just was – it was blind luck. It really was blind luck to find bullish markets. But they were interviewing me to find out what I was doing, and because I'm I'm a person that likes to talk about what I do in in trading – I laid it all out there for them, but they asked me if I'd be interested in learning more about what really goes on and being welcomed into that that side of it, and I got really uncomfortable because they were very demanding about certain things. I would have had to move. I would have had to be uh, available anytime they wanted, and it didn't, I didn't like it. It didn't sit well with me. I, at the time, my family members, uh, I didn't want to tell them about it. I didn't want to tell my uncle who was – kind of like the inspiration for me to really pursue it once I understood what trading was. But after sitting with these individuals, 
and ex- you know, being exposed to the side of the industry that no one really sees, I quickly understood that the markets really aren't a free market. They're 100% manipulated, 100%. And when you know this and you can see it in the price, number one, it's scary the first time you realize it because it's, it completely upsets the, the, the normal okay, or the established uh, belief across the board that this is what markets do. And I get so much flack from people okay, that you know what I say or what I talk about because they don't really research it. They don't test it. Because if it wasn't true, it wouldn't be repeating itself every single week. The things that you want to see in price action are not going to be a, a result of an indicator. And it's not going to be the result of buyers and sellers. Everything's about the money. And the price of these instruments come from the central bank. That's the storehouse. If, we, if you and I own a store, okay, and the commodity that we sell in it, say it's shoes – Say you have a shoe store. Who sets the price for the shoes that you place on your display? The store owner. Exactly. So a currency, who owns the currency? The central bank. Yeah. So they're providing that commodity, if you will, to large funds because that's really what this is all about. It has nothing to do with you and I sitting down and trading and trying to make money. It's about large institutional funds and that liquidity. Anyone that sits down with a commitment of traders report and, and takes that information and plots it on that trader's position chart, you can see this, this beautiful 180-degree diametrically opposed movement between the large traders and the commercials. They're 100% lockstep to one another. Now, when Larry Williams taught this in his 1970 book, How I Made a Million Dollars Trading Commodities last year, he talked about it, but he didn't get to the level, and I still don't think he understands it, and I don't mean to be disrespectful because if he did, he would teach it because he loves to teach it. He's very passionate about it, but it's the, the fact that the central bank themselves, they set price in motion. They're the ones at the high, and when they're most bearish, that's the high of the market. When they're most bullish, okay, that's the low in the market, and it's diametrically opposed to these large traders. So what I did was I started focusing on what they're doing, what are they doing between those moments? Because that's the real institutional order flow. Mm-hmm. And if you focus on that, that's the trend, that's the momentum, that's all the thing that you need to be focused on. There's no indicator needed outside of that. Now, I moved away from all these things and started focusing on price action because of time and day and month of the year. And I realized that there were certain patterns that repeated themselves over and over and over again. And because I was exposed to certain things with these two gentlemen, they they are the ones that helped me unlock the fact that the central banks themselves control price. And it's 100% manipulated, and it's the daily high and low set. Like we all think it's Fibonacci. <laughs> it's reaching a supply and demand zone, or it's reaching a, a trend line, or it's doing something else harmonic. All those things, okay, have nothing to do with how price actually moved. Zero. I sit down every single day and I determine where are these factors that line up that lead to a bullish scenario or a bear scenario for the week. Then I break it down into a 24-hour cycle. Okay, so from midnight in New York, I want to see 
where the highest probability levels are that the central bank's going to want to reprice to. Now, there's a whole lot of things that you can study in my free stuff that'll lead to to that. Mm. But the point is, none of it, <laughs> none of it, is found in retail books. Okay, and I don't, I don't want to sound arrogant because a lot of people think it's how I am, but I'm just being truthful and honest. And I'm telling you, the things that we are told to look at and study, it's a farce. And yes, there may be instances, and I, I'm a poster child, child, you know, I'm a poster child for it, really, because nine months, I was doing things, and I could have swore it was attributed to that, and it wasn't. It was the fact that I was in commercially driven bull markets, and I was buying them when they were in a premium market. That means the the nearby contracts that I was trading were selling at a higher price now and then the farther months out. Usually it's a reverse. Usually you have a market that's more expensive in the futures price because there's a lot more cost associated. There's storage fees and insurances that the, the, the commodity producer or uh, manufacturer has to incur. So those risks and costs, they want to collect that with a higher uh, futures price. When I was buying, and I didn't really have that much understanding of what I was doing, but when I was buying Chicago Board of Trade wheat, it was a commercial bull market, and it was jumping up, you know, $5,000 per contract. You know, it, it was in one day, it was, these types of moves were happening. I didn't understand uh, certain days of the, um, the month. Certain commodities really didn't have any limits. It, they could go anywhere, and I was always – finding myself in bullish moves that paid out. But it was all because of those things that I didn't understand then that could have very easily hurt me. And it's just, it's just, I really, I intend to write a book <laughs> because the way everything lined up in my life is incredible. It's really incredible how everything worked itself out. But ultimately, it's been a very interesting journey. It's funny, uh, it's, it's funny you say this because just this week, there was a, a a London cabbie actually sent me an email. Uh, he sent me a message, direct message, just saying like the show and blah blah blah. And and then I, I don't know how the conversation went, but he he said that he pick he often picks up traders in his cab from obviously the city of London. So these guys are you know um, who knows well, they're probably Barclays or some sort of massive bank uh, traders. And he says that they. Like to, I don't know if it was a, talking about individuals or whatever, but they said to him that, um, what did he say? I'm just trying to read the quote on here on my phone. Um, here it goes. Uh, retail, yeah, he says, um, yeah, he picks it. Uh, I should interview traders in my cab that I pick up, etc., and send them to you. They always say retail trading can't be profitable, and they really seem to know less than us. So I think that's that's sort of what you're saying uh, to a certain degree. And the fact that yes. retail traders and, and it's, well, the hedge funds as well, or the fund managers as well, by the sound of it, um, just know less. And it's, it is quite interesting. So you said you had some videos where you walk through some of the stuff. Maybe we can link them up on the show notes. Is that possible? Actually, they're all on my YouTube channel. On oh, the um, YouTube. Okay, cool. Yeah, the, Brilliant. the YouTube channel is my name, Inner Circle Trader. It's very easy to find it. Okay, superb. Well, look, we, it's a great introduction to the show. Absolutely fantastic stuff. Uh, Let's get into some of the, the, the detail around your trading these days. So what would you call your style? Uh, I am a short-term to day trader. I, I like to focus on the weekly range, and I try to capture some expansion that takes place between Sunday's open and Friday's close. 
and I'm in, I'm entering with a, a day traders application, but trying to ride more or less the weekly range. And what? Okay, so and so what time frames would you be toggling between? My entry uh, usually comes in around a, a five or fifteen minute chart. Uh, my setup usually is an hourly chart, and my bias is determined from the daily chart. And how many trades would you place in a week? About two. But I've done this recently on Twitter. I ran for like a whole year showing what um, consistency looks like and, and trying to find a trade every single week just to prove if I did it every single week what it looks like. Uh, but I don't personally try to trade that way. Uh, I look for one good setup per week, and if I can get it, you know, 50 to 75 pips is my weekly objective. If I get that, if I get 50, I stop. But I'm looking for... 50 to 75. And winning percentage? I'll let your readers check me out on uh, on Twitter, but it's it's in the 90s. And typical risk to reward ratio? I personally like to look for things three to one, but ideally um, most of my best trades that I'm looking for are five to one or more. And how many instruments would you look at to find your trades? I focus primarily on the euro dollar and the British pound. So just just the one pair, or using yeah, those? just just one one or the other. If I if I don't see something in the euro, and I'll find something in cable, I'll trade that. Or if I find uh, something in euro and not so much interested in the cable market, then that's what I'll trade. Cool. There's always something to do. Um. So, what would your typical trading day look like? Well, it's based on the economic calendar and what day of the week. I'm primarily looking for my setup between Monday and Wednesday's New York Open. Uh, that's like the sweet spot for me. And I look for the weekly range to create its higher low between those days and those times. If I can secure that, obviously in, in London Open, it's primarily where the 70% of the time, I'm sure you probably like to have these kind of stats, but 70% of the time, when the market is predisposed to go higher or it's bullish, uh, the weekly low is formed between Monday and Wednesday's New York Open. Now, that by itself is a phenomenal edge. And I'll say it again. If the market's bullish, okay, if, if you can determine that the market is most likely to be bullish for this week, you have a 70% chance of ha- having the weekly low form between Monday, between min- Monday night, midnight, New York time, to New York Open on Wednesday. Now, if you start looking at the economic calendar for the week to come, you can start seeing where these economic drivers are, uh, these high-impact or medium-impact news events that come out between London Open or New York Open. Those are like more or less smoke screens. Uh, the, the central banks use these as kind of like opportunities to do the opposite of what everybody else thinks is going to happen. I'm not a real believer of fundamentals. Um, I, there's some fundamentals I do subscribe to, which are very generic things that, you know, it goes without saying it's 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 tangible, it's a real thing. But most of the time I'm just looking at what level of manipulation takes place between uh, Monday's midnight New York to Wednesday's uh, New York Open and time it between a Mon Open or a New York Open uh, entry. Nice. 
Superb. That was a great answer. Now, uh, slightly diverting our conversation off Forex, what about cryptocurrency, Bitcoin? Do you, have you ever traded them? Have you thought of trading them? Have you looked at those markets? Do they react the same way? A lot of questions there to answer. Um, I have never traded crypto, uh, but I will tell you that I have a lot of students that actually do trade it, and they trade it with, you know, with their own money. And the things that I've taught by way of Forex and commodities and futures – they have applied it to Bitcoin and they swear by it. And I look at price action occasionally and I share certain charts with, uh, with the community on Twitter about my personal views. And I don't feel compelled to trade it. I personally think it needs to do a whole lot more before I would ever even consider trading it. And I don't think I ever would. I'm, I'm really settled in on my asset. And if Forex ever became an issue, I'll just go right back to trading bonds. Cool. Uh, and, and so what do you think in the beginning? I mean, it sounds like you, you, know, you can't believe the journey of your life to where you got to, but what do you think made you different from everyone else out there? So the mum and dad trader out there that's struggling, did you have any special traits or special actions that you might have taken that other people could take? Um, I'm, <laughs> I have OCD. I'm obsessively compulsive. So I have that going for me. I, I used to look at it as, a, as an impediment and a learning disability, but it's funny. Anyone that has struggles in, in learning this, it's very easy for us to be talking to other people to try to find inspiration. Everyone does this. I did this too. I told my friends, I told my family, this is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. None of them, except for my uncle, none of them said, you know what, that's a good idea, or I believe in you. So it was counterproductive. So what happens is that you find all these perfect excuses to talk yourself out of it. In the last 27 years, I probably quit about 20 times, and everybody feels this. You feel like you want to you just stop doing it. Once you figure out what it is that you are doing to yourself, because many times it's that. You know, I, I did a, a, a SoundCloud uh, presentation, you know, Are You Deserving?, because it's very – easy for us to focus in on it, a very short-term adversity and say to ourselves, you know what, this isn't for me. This is, I can't do this. This is going to be impossible for me to do. If you believe that, then it's true. I never believed it. I quit because it was too much pressure and I had to let it die down for a little while and I would come back and do it. What separated me, I think, from everyone else that I hear about is that I knew I was retiring at 40. I knew when I was 20-some years old, I would not be working at 40. And that was my goal. I wanted to make $1,000 a month, save it, let it compound, and I would not be working at 40. I retired a whole lot earlier than that. But the point is, I didn't believe everyone else. I've always felt that there's a contrarian view. And I've, I've been a contrarian all my life. And once I understood it about myself – that's where I shined as a trader because it helped me line my personality with my trading approach. So everything about me is diametrically opposed to what everyone else hears and thinks and believes about the market. Contrarian, guys, is very important, I think, in this industry and in actual fact in life as a whole. Yes. Uh, right, next question. So if you're a retail trader working a day job, what steps would you – take or you recommend they'd take to start making some money in the markets 
Well, I can tell you that I was doing that for, well, the nine months initially. I stopped trading, uh, thinking I knew everything and tried to trade, you know, full time and blew up. But the the wisdom I think I've um, more or less gleaned from the last 27 years, if I could go back in time, I get this question a lot in email and folks on Twitter. What would I do differently knowing that if I was working, how would I approach it and do it differently? I wouldn't have tried to trade as many markets as I was trying to do then. I would have just settled in on one and focused on short-term trading, not position trading because you're not going to stick with that. Nobody, nobody has the understanding or the patience to do that. Regardless if that's in your nature, you just aren't going to be that inspired or interested. Short-term trading, I think, is ideal because it allows you a lot of stimuli. It gives you a lot of opportunities. Every single week, there's an opportunity to be focusing on and studying. And I think that if your listeners are contemplating getting into trading or they've been trading and haven't found any continuity or consistency yet, my suggestion is to do this. Pick an asset class. It doesn't make a difference if it's crypto. It doesn't make a difference if it's stocks or futures or forex. It doesn't make a difference. Pick one asset class and one market in that asset class. Study it. Learn it very, very well. Learn all of its intricacies or its its characteristics. That things that it does, okay, those those characteristics, you will pick that up if you study for six months and you're detailed about what it is it's doing every single day. Print out charts. Make your annotations. Make things on the chart that resonate with you. You know, patterns that you see repeating over and over again, certain times of the day, certain things take place, highs of the lows, when do they form for the week, for the for the entire daily range, one of the highs and lows forming. Focus there, and I think in very short time, you'll see that there's a lot of opportunity that won't require you a lot of babysitting because everyone has the responsibility to take care of their family, themselves, you know, please their boss. They have to be um, – gainfully employed until they can earn their money through speculation, if that's their goal. Focusing on going slow is my best advice to someone that's getting into this or contemplating getting into it and trying not to do things fast. Like I mentioned, my goal was 20 years later. That was that was the finish line for me. When I was 20, I wanted to retire at 40. So I had went into this with that mindset, but it wasn't until me getting into trading and seeing how fast money can come into the account, then I lost my mind because <laughs> I had no discipline. So you have to develop those rules and parameters early on and don't deviate from them. Don't be on your phone doing multiple trades at work and don't try to replace the normal stresses of being at work, being separated from your family, not having enough money. Don't take those things and use them as catalysts to get into a market because you want that that feel-good moment. You want to be distracted because if this trade works out and makes me money, I'll feel better about my situation because I'll be moving out of it because of that. It never works that way. It never, never, never works that way. Focus on developing yourself. Learn more about who you are as a trader, how you think, and then operate in a short-term realm. If you do that, I guarantee you, you will see development and progress that you wouldn't have otherwise done. That's a fantastic answer. Guys, please don't just skip over that. Rewind, listen to it again, because it's probably the first time we've actually heard that kind of answer. Um, Two things there really resonated with me was going slow 
and taking that short-term approach. Most people say like go out to like the daily time frames and just trade daily, blah, blah. I like this. I like this one market short-term, really good. Cool. So you've mentioned some of the technical and fundamentals, you know, aspects of your trading. If you had to split them up from a percentage point of view, what, are that, what does that look like? Well, if we're going to be talking about Forex, uh, from a long-term standpoint, uh, they're going to be mainly trading on the basis of differential. So what uh, what country has the highest yielding interest rate versus a lower yielding interest rate? Whichever is higher, if you pair them up in a pair, uh, the larger interest rate over time will have the fundamental, quote-unquote, um, better long-term. We understand it as a uh, – a fundamental long-term position. Okay, that to me is essential. You can have that. It's, it's a carry trade. If you have that behind you as a fundamental backdrop for being long a currency or short a currency, in other words, if you're shorting the currency that's lower interest rate against a higher interest rate, I think that that is paramount, and it really is a fundamental factor in forex from a long-term standpoint. Um, the shorter-term things like uh, import sales or housing numbers or employment numbers, all those things, like I mentioned earlier in our discussion, I believe that they're just more or less used to upset the short-term sentiment. And I can't really articulate it better than just simply saying it that way and having your your listeners go in and research it themselves. There's many times where we see these short-term fundamental reports come out and people spend lots of time and money trying to figure out all that. And well, how do you explain the times when the markets are really generating these reports that are extremely bullish, but the market goes the other way, careening you know, very fast the other direction? What are you left with? Why didn't it act like it should have? Oh, it, it priced in the move, they tell us. <laughs> There's always an excuse for something, okay, that that's why it happened. I think if you're going to you – know, divide how much of my uh, analysis is fundamental versus technical it's 20 percent fundamental based on the interest rate because interest rate is what the markets are going to chase it's the yield everything else is all technically oriented time price and day and and so you talked about the like annotating the chart looking for patterns i mean could you give could you give the guys a few things that they could potentially focus on when they're doing that? One of the things I am, I guess, famous for recently in the last couple of years is when we, when we look for trade setups, the first thing we learn in retail is the concept of support and resistance, where there's a double top, a double bottom, a triple top, triple bottom, things of that nature. That's like my favorite go-to scenario because if I can determine that the market is, is poised to go higher and there's a double high or a triple high on any time frame, it doesn't work just in certain time frames, it's all time frames. If you take these scenarios okay, and you pair them up with a analysis for the weekly range, if you think the weekly range is bullish, um, okay, great. Now I like to go into the chart and I look for areas where – on the four hour, is there a double high about 150 to 200 pips away or even 50 pips away? And that would, that would frame my week. If I don't have that, I don't look at it. I go to the next setup. 
or I've got next to the next pair. In my case, it's just the euro or cable. If neither of those pairs have it, then I'm sitting still doing nothing. Now, what the pattern is and what I'm annotating on my chart is I know there's liquidity above those equal highs. What What's going to be residing above those equal highs? It's going to be buy-side liquidity. Someone shorted the market up there. I don't care to know who it is. I just know there's liquidity up there. Like I mentioned earlier in our discussion, the markets move because of liquidity and for the money. Well, the money isn't in between the moves beginning and ending. We are told that's where the money is. No. The money is before the move starts because it's attacking some measure of sell-side liquidity or what we know as sell stops, runs below an old low, gathers those orders up, and they pair. Those sell stops, when the market trades down there, it triggers this sell-side liquidity as a rush of willing participants that are only interested in doing what at the time? Selling. That's what their orders are doing. Mm. Smart money, they go in and then use that to pair up their buys. What I do is I do the same thing with that. I want to be buying below an old low and targeting a run above equal highs. It could be a double high or a triple high. It has to have an opportunity for me to make 50 pips or more. If it doesn't, I'm not interested. And I just keep track every single day. I'm looking for these scenarios from four-hour and one-hour perspective. Nice. Great explanation. Another one to rewind on, guys. Okay, so, uh, Michael, we're going to jump into the quickfire round. So the first one is how long did it take you to go from trading newbie to consistently profitable? Well, if you take the nine months out, because that was all pure luck, I struggled uh, for the next five years, and I would hit and miss. I'd have periods of winning, 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 and then I would blow the account. And I'd find another approach. It would be winning, 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 and then blow out. It wasn't until I started applying the things that I learned by meeting these quote-unquote market makers and floor traders. I, I looked at the idea of liquidity, how things are really driven and how price is delivered in all asset classes. That changed everything. So, and the short answer is it took me six years to find consistency in, in what I'm doing, feel comfortable knowing what I am looking for, not deviating, not being interested in chasing another pattern or another teacher. There's always been new books coming out, always some new hot hand that comes out. Some guy won a contest. Some guy wrote a book. Some guy's teaching something on YouTube. It's always cropping up. That's always happening. I was never interested in chasing anything after that. That six-year mark, something changed inside of me. I just didn't feel the need to change what I had already found, and I stuck with it. I learned how to use compound interest effectively but not over-leveraging, and I used a a very low-hanging fruit approach. I wanted to get – 50 points a week, eventually grew to 75. Once I got it, I stopped. I didn't compare myself with everyone else. I didn't compare, am I doing this this market when I shouldn't be doing another market because this guy just made so much money? I didn't care what everyone else was doing. I just focused on what I was doing, and the bottom line reflected it. What's your mental approach to trading, and do you have any special techniques you can share with us? Um, well, nothing outside of what I've already mentioned here in terms of time. I, I'm, I'm very time-oriented. I'm very 
detail-oriented about price action, and I, I don't want to spend a lot of time in markets that aren't really lined up to move. If it doesn't have it in the cards for a, a, a major displacement, in other words, a nice sizable expansion up or down, I'm not interested. So most of my time is focused there. And I want to be trading in a market that's gotten quiet from a recent big excitement. Once it starts getting quiet, I want to be focusing on that market because it's going to do something again. What's your favorite entry setup? Well, <laughs> the one I mentioned earlier about uh, targeting equal highs and equal lows, I think that a lot of my setups, if you look at them, they'll, they'll target that in a lot of ways. And it's the easiest one to see. So I think that buying a retracement ahead of a run of a double top or a double bottom or selling a retracement ahead of a run below double bottoms or triple bottoms. What strategies do you use to exit or manage active trades? Uh, If you go through a lot of my free stuff, you'll hear me say that the weak part about me as a trader is the exits. And I have had to develop over the last 20 years a style that I've grown accustomed to and comfortable with. My analysis concepts lend very well to being very accurate, but because of the liquidity, being able to have my orders execute, and it just happened today also. You know where the market should go, and I want to be getting out 15 to 20 pips ahead of that and still get what I'm trying to capture, 50 to 20, 50 to 75 pips a week. So my style is looking for those areas where the market should be drawn to, okay? or I teach it as a draw on liquidity, where the orders are. I want to be getting out as it's going into that pool of liquidity, and if I can get that, I'm comfortable. I don't care if it keeps running. I don't care if it doubles in what I could have held. I don't care, but that's, that's my exit strategy. What's your recommended trading book or video? I mentioned Larry Williams, How I Made a Million Dollar Trading Commodities last year. I think that should be in every library. That uh, If you're trading, you should have it, period. It doesn't matter if you're a commodity trader or not. You should have it. Um, but if you read John Murphy's The Financial – I'm sorry, The Technical Analysis of the Financial Markets book, read that, study that. That's like the the Bible for retail thinking, and then turn everything inside it upside down, and then you'll find things that work amazing. It's funny we've never had the Larry's book mentioned on the show before, and it's a, you know, up to a hundred, almost hundred and ninety episodes we've done. Uh, not even Larry, Larry didn't even mention it. Um, right. right. So if there was one thing you'd recommend any retail trader spend the next month mastering, what would it be? Why and how could they go about mastering it? Controlling their cells, um, the the impulse to want to be doing something, uh, that's the biggest barrier for everyone finding consistency because everyone, it, given enough time, they'll find wins. The problem is we fall, we fall in love with that moment where we've done something correct in our mind. It gave us a reward. We, there was money you deposited in the account. The first thing we want to do is go on social media, share it with everyone, and It's that moment that you need to stop. Don't do those things. Don't chase the the outward acceptance. They should be focusing on developing a a rule-based 
process that limits the amount of time that they do this and the frequency in which they do it. Now, I'm not stating that they can't eventually develop a scalper's mentality and take you know, four or five trades intraday. I used to do that too. But I've learned that if they, like I've done myself, if you learn to control yourself and discipline yourself, how, how, you know, what would be the ideal scenario for you as a trader? Because everyone wants to get in here and trade and, and leave their job, but they don't really weigh it out because what you're saying is, I don't want to go to work for that guy. I want to go to work for myself, but you don't know yourself. Most people that get into this, they don't really understand themselves. They don't know how they're going to react when they're making a lot of money. They don't know how they're going to react when they, do, they blow their account or they have a series of six, seven, eight losses in a row. They don't know what they're going to do. So you know what you're getting with your boss. You know who he is, she is. You know what he's going to ask of you. Okay, So stay in that environment until you know exactly what you're doing. If you master yourself first, understand what your reaction is going to be. Do you go? Do you go to the marketplace, turn on your charts, and put a trade on when you just got into a heated debate, or you're angry, you're in trouble about something, uh, you know your kids aren't listening, they're not doing well in school, you haven't been feeling well, you know uh, you just got in a, a relationship spat with your your spouse. Those are prime opportunities for you to self-destruct, and you need to target with a journal, write down these trigger events. Because I can tell you I've been journaling since I was 16, and I have journals all the way back to when I was 16, and I can tell you everything about my life, every single day of my life. I've done this since then, and I can also tell you what led up to me making the biggest mistakes throughout my entire life. It was always these types of things. We cannot take these moments out of our lives where we're uncomfortable, we're having anxiety, we're fearful. You know, or impatient. It doesn't work like lottery. You think that, well, I'm going to sit down in front of the charts, and I'm going to plunk in some money, and I'm going to get a trade, and I'm going to feel better about myself. Because even if you do win, even if you do, what that's going to do is it's going to reward toxic thinking. Because now what you've established subconsciously is you've assumed because you're uncomfortable in the real world, you're going into the trading world. That's your escape. That's your fairy tale land. That's your 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 dreamland. Okay, you're eventually going to take that and bring it into reality, and you're going to leave work. You're going to drive fancy cars. You're going to go to exotic places. You're going to eat in fine restaurants. You're never going to worry about the price tags. That's what you're all thinking about when you get into trading, whether you want to admit it or not. That's really what this is all about because you're here to make money, but you're never going to make that money if you go into your life and say, okay. I'm replacing this negative feeling I'm having right now and I'm going to replace it with a trade because you don't know enough about yourself. You need to know all these little trigger moments. This is the reason why I teach with a demo account because people will self-destruct. Given enough time, everyone does it. Everyone. There's never been a person that's ever sat down and said, I'm going to start trading. I'm going to use a live account, and he never blew that account. It's never happened. They always do it. Okay, so… No one talks about this in books enough because it wouldn't sell. No one, you're not going to buy a book. Hey, um, what every losing demo trader does wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's going to buy that book. No one's going to buy that book. But if you say, um, I made $50 million in the last 16 years, but this is what I had to do in the beginning and what I had to go through, and this is how I corrected it. 
they're, they're interested now because they're okay. I want to know how you got the 50 million, but they still won't pay attention to the things that the real message is don't do these problematic things. Don't self-destruct. Don't take these real life adversities and try to replace them with a winning trade. Every time someone does that, it's always the wrong thing because obviously most time you're going to lose money. Then how are you going to feel? <laughs> you're, ha- you're, you're not going to be happy. You're going to be miserable. And it's just going to compound over and over and over again. So I would suggest that folks would spend time the next 30 days, evaluate themselves, ask themselves the hard questions. Why do they want to do this? And then when they trade, you know, we hear about it a lot, traders that talk about journaling. They'll say, write down how you felt before the trade. What does that mean? What does that mean when you how I, I felt excited? I felt like I'm going to make some money. That's what everybody's thinking. But no, what you need to be doing is, is asking yourself honestly, cut right to the core. What am I trying to get out of this, this transaction? Because I'm upset. I'm working really hard for the person I'm working for right now. I'm not getting enough money. They're giving me very little uh, money for the time I'm investing. I'm separated from my family. I hate where I'm at. I just need a change, and I need this to happen. I need it to start right now. That's the real reason why I got in that trade, and you need to write that stuff down in your journal. And you'll see if you spend the next 30 days doing that and focus more on the processes that you should be replacing that with, you'll do that far less. And then you'll go into looking at setups more objectively. You won't have the emotional stimuli behind those transactions. You'll say to yourself, this is a setup. This is what it should do, and I don't care about the result. This is what the process suggests I should do. I'm going to do it. That's the only way objective consistency is achieved. So true as well. I mean, I I literally, and I don't know why it is, but, yeah, traders struggle with writing the journals. I've been told a million times, and I only started probably four weeks ago. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, I mean, like it works. It it just downright works uh, to the point where, it was maybe the last week or the week before I was writing down like while I was entering this trade and it was one word. I wrote down, it was a gamble. All I put down was gamble. And <laughs> it was like, okay. So now I know that I've actually, this is definitely a gamble trade. So I'm gambling at this point. Um, did the trade win? Yeah, it won. But did I gamble since? No, I haven't. So, there is something to it, guys. If you're not doing it, there is definitely something to journaling that makes you rethink. Like, I don't want to be looking at my think journal going like 15 gamble trades in a row uh, mm-hmm. or even even one. Even one was too much, and that was sort of one out of maybe 30, 30 different um, pairs that I'd analyzed. So it, it, is, it is so critical. And uh, for whatever reason, us human beings, unless, like yourself, you're embedded, it's been embedded since your age of 16, um, very hard to become a journaler. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know. Anyway, sorry, we'll carry on with the last few questions here. What's your preferred broker and trading platform? I do not discuss brokers because I don't operate as an introducing broker. But the the bigger brokers, the, the well-known brokers, I think – Folks, if they want to eventually transition into live trading, they can be trusted. I don't have an an affinity over one or the other. Uh, I can tell you uh, I've been burned by certain brokers like FXEM. I've I've actually had uh, an account that didn't have an order. The stop loss did not get triggered, and it just ran against me a lot. And that's not fun. 
So I, I, if I tell you that, that tells you I don't like them. <laughs> yeah. But the uh, the other brokers that are out there, you know, I'm in the states, so there's certain things that we can and can't do here in the realm of uh, legality. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not an introducing broker. I don't suggest anyone going to any one particular broker. I don't do that. But I think if you do your due diligence and, and spend time looking at the, the bigger ones, the more reputable one, reputable ones, and just ask around. Just you know, hey, everyone's going to have horror stories. I mean, think about it. You lose money, you, you're going to blame the broker. You did it wrong. But if you're really having your account fleeced, and you'll know when it's happening, and it was happening with FXCM with me, the you know it's time to pack it up and go somewhere else. What about trading platform? I teach through uh, MetaTrader 4 and just recently started messing with MetaTrader 5. But uh, I actually use uh, eSignal for my data and use their platform in my private trading. But for teaching and all the things that they see in my free videos, you'll see MT4 up here. What about your worst trade ever? Um, well, there's two of them. One wasn't my fault. FXCM didn't honor my stop, and it should have. It wasn't like a an ideal scenario where the market gapped through it. It just traded up through it, and they didn't uh, you know, didn't honor it. Uh, and then, uh, obviously, like I mentioned earlier, the first one, I, I started trading with live money before I showed up. Within four weeks of reading the book, I had to open up an account, and in one day, in less than 24 hours, 50% of the account was gone. So that was, to me, I think if we were to really ask in honesty, that's my worst trade because I did exactly what I should have never done. Started trading with live funds before I knew what I was doing. If you could leave our listeners with one piece of advice, what would it be? Don't talk to your friends and family. Don't tell them what you want to do. They're never, ever, ever going to agree with you. You may have the best of of friends right now, but none of them, none of them are going to tell you what you really are seeking. You want to hear, I believe in you. I believe you're going to do this. Nothing's going to stop you. Never lose heart. Stick to this, and you're going to go so far. You're going to go way beyond what you thought. It never works like that. You're going to get the other excuses of why you shouldn't do it, and then you're going to be thinking about that. Every time you have these temporary adversities, you're going to get stopped out. Your trade doesn't work out. You can't find a trade, okay? And you're going to be hearing these internal dialogues. Everyone in your family, all your friends, don't talk to your coworkers. Don't tell them what you're doing either. Just do it. Don't talk. Do it. Okay, cool. Now, the last question I usually ask my guests, I think you've sort of answered it already in the show. So what I'm going to ask you is with your knowledge, and because I've asked a couple of other people this, and I think it's you should be able to answer the question quite nicely. Um January 2nd this year, right, there was this massive, massive uh, move down, I think, in some pairs it went down 1,000 pips in, in the course oh, the of the day. Yeah, the yen, mm-hmm. the yen drop. Um, how, do you, how would you explain that? What we mentioned earlier in the uh, broadcast, <laughs> that is all from the central bank repricing. They do that to upset the funds. Go back and look at the uh, Commitment of Traders report on uh, those currencies ahead of that and you'll see what they did they purged all the liquidity on the the large fund side okay cool cool interesting stuff right um and there's actually a couple of questions from my one of my listeners it was very much around what you do so um what's the difference between your mentorship and charter material what's the difference between my mentorship and what was the other thing you said and charter material 
I don't know what your chart oh, material okay. is. When, when people sign up to, to join the mentorship, there's 12 core months of content. And those lessons are pre-recorded. They're just foundational. They're not everything there is to the mentorship. It's just kind of like these are the things you need to know because after the 12 months and you don't pay anymore after 12 months, you go to a charter member. Now, a charter member is someone that's still part of the community, and I still teach, but I teach in lessons that aren't available to the folks that are going through the initial 12 months core content. It's just continued learning without having to pay for it. Cool. Okay. Sweet. So, look, before we wrap up, uh, what's the best way for the traders to get hold of you? Um, I, really, the easiest way is uh, innercircletrader at gmail.com or follow me on Twitter at I underscore M underscore ICT. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Michael. Look, it's uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. So a big thank you to Michael for sharing with us today everything we've discussed here, along with all the links, are going to be in the show notes. To find them, simply search for Michael in the search box on tradingnut.com. Until next time, I wish all my listeners trading happiness and success. Righty-ho, folks. Hope you enjoyed that episode with Michael. Now, look, if you do want to see that video that uh, I talked about at the start of the show, head over to the show notes page. You're going to find it there. Really uh, gives, you a, gives you a bit more detail and insight into what we discussed here on the show today. Now, a couple of things. I, I had a little surprise for you that I'm going to get to in a second. Uh, just a reminder on what I mentioned at the start of the show around analyzing what you're doing using some sort of third-party tool. And uh, yeah, it really helps me out with the robots. So if you're looking for, for robot trading or to automate some of the stuff that you do or, or even just have the skill of being able to automate some trading algorithm idea that you've got, then head over to tradingnut.com and you're going to see the robots link in the top or it'll be in the show notes. Either learn to build them yourself or you could join me on the Robot Traders Club and we're just building them and testing them as a as a collective and seeing if we can find one that works. And actually, in actual fact, there was one I did um, that is going really well. I've changed some settings on it and in the last couple of months, it's had like a, even actually two and a half months, 83% win rate. Uh, 230 odd pips I mean it doesn't take a lot of pips every trade but it's uh, it's been going really really well it hasn't had a losing day so guys um, head over there tradingnut.com now for that surprise so the surprise is next week we have got just some trader coming up on the show so if you've been waiting for this interview it is just around the corner so hold on to your chairs it's coming up guys alright until next time have a great trading week I'll see you there